0: We'll start this episode where we started the first one, Hitler speaking at Berlin's Sportpalast. On the last show, I described him speaking for the first time as German chancellor. Now he was kicking off his campaign for the German presidency in February of 1932. As a quick aside, if you're finding this podcast for the first time, I would pause it now and listen to episode number one of this series as each episode builds upon the last one. The presidential campaign was an important step for Hitler to take. Remember, we're working our way towards the Hitler chancellorship. Hitler's presidential campaign will become a stepping stone towards this goal. It would give credibility to the Nazis as not a mere fringe political movement, but one where their leader could stand up to the very popular current German president, Paul von Hindenburg. It was February 27th when Hitler began his presidential campaign at the Sportpalast. 20,000 Nazi supporters yelled and cheered upon his arrival to the stage. Their wild applause lasted a long time, at least 15 minutes. It was the kickoff to his campaign for president of Germany. He had the unenviable task of taking down current president Paul von Hindenburg, but vying for the position was the correct step to make. The Nazis had made massive gains over the previous two years, including 107 seats in the Reichstag. The time was right for Hitler to make a run at one of the most important positions in the German government. It was a striking visual sight where Hitler was standing, delivering his speech. There were flags, Nazi officials, Nazi militia. Hitler screamed that the election on March 13th would be a day for Germany to abolish the ills that had plagued the country since the start of the Weimar era. It would be the beginning of a new Germany. The crowd was especially energetic at the end of Hitler's speech, when they cheered and screamed between his statements. If this crowd in itself was any indication, Hitler would have a chance to win the presidency. The Nazis felt they had momentum working on their side, but it was more than momentum. It was almost divine intervention or manifest destiny. The more success they had, the greater this feeling was. Meanwhile, the presidential campaigns of the Reich's other political candidates also got started. Across Germany in Dortmund that same night, the communist candidate Ernst Tallmann spoke before 20,000 followers. The socialists, in the meantime, backed the current Reich president, believing it was, quote, Hitler or Hindenburg, end quote, and they didn't want the Nazi. Their goal was to defeat fascism. The stakes of the March election were high. A Hindenburg win would signal a victory against fanaticism and polarization as extremist movements were knocking at the door. The communists were one election away from power, and the Nazis, who were the greater threat to win, felt confident in a Hitler victory. Welcome to the Points of No Return in History. I'm your host, Dave Knoll. Last week, we looked at the beginning of the Nazi movement and its first real victory at the polls in 1931. On today's episode, we will explore the year 1932. This year, 1932, would prove to be a critical year for the German nation, particularly for the Nazis. By August, they will be closer to power than they had ever been. The March presidential election was just the beginning of the story. The Nazis were full of catchphrases. On banners, you would often see Deutschland erwache," meaning Germany, awake! Or you would see the German phrase meaning work and bread. These catchphrases and banners were core to the spectacle they were trying to create. They were trying to look young and energetic, especially as an alternative to the current German political class. A catchphrase of particular importance for the 1932 presidential campaign was "Schluss jetzt, or End it now! This phrase meant they wanted to put an end to the Weimar system of government. This could be seen in a memo Goebbels put together on February 4th for the plan of attack of the Hitler presidential campaign. The Nazis hated what they called the 1918 system, a reference to the Weimar government that was put in place in that year. They felt the government was responsible for Germany's economic troubles, that it was a weak political system and that it would not stand up for international German interests. They felt Germany had been made extremely weak as a result of the Versailles Treaty and that the Weimar government was not fighting back. End it now will be plastered all across Germany during the campaign. The Nazis wanted to be at the forefront of everyone's thoughts. On one such poster, a buff German man breaks the shekels that used to bind his hands together. End it now. Vote Hitler, it read. The Hitler campaign was dynamic. They produced a million posters. There were 8 million pamphlets and 12 million newspapers, and the streets were filled with Nazis informing German citizens of Nazi rallies. Meanwhile Hitler was busy. It took him only 11 days to speak to 12 cities. And just like the Reichstag campaign of 1930, the Nazis researched thoroughly for their propaganda. They tried to reach every kind of German, urban, rural, man, woman and on and on their campaign was mobile. It featured motorcycles, trucks, and planes. It also featured new media. There were loudspeakers, records, and movies. They even painted Talman's name on buildings in the suburbs, hoping the residents would blame the communists for the graffiti. The communists, on the other hand, also did this to the Nazis using Hitler's name, the Nazis were soft on Hindenburg. After all, he was a war hero and respected by Germany at large. They painted him as being under the thumb of other forces, such as the chancellor, Chancellor Bruning, who did not escape the wrath of the Nazi campaign. Bruning was at the forefront of Hindenburg's camp. Hindenburg mostly stayed behind the scenes. He was old and felt above the entire process. It was a short yet tense campaign season. Some of these things I know they could happen today, but it's just so far outside what I expect from a political campaign it's strange and fascinating to me. For example, on March 9th, four days before the election, the Hindenburg campaign used planes to throw leaflets down on Berlin. 10,000 Nazis were gathered for a rally when they received a brunt of these droppings. The leaflet said that, quote, a vote for Hitler means voting for hatred, inexperience, nepotism, and ruin for the German people, end quote. The Nazis ripped them up. The Hindenburg campaign relied on measures like leaflets because Hindenburg did not do the politicking himself. Bruning did most of the speaking. On March 10th, however, three days before the election, Hindenburg addressed the nation by radio in a rare campaign appearance. He warned about the extremism of the communists and the Nazis. He branded himself a voice of reason and moderation. Quote, election of a party man representing one-sided extremist views who would consequently have the majority of the people against him, would expose the fatherland to serious disturbances whose outcome would be incalculable, end quote. Hindenburg continued on the radio, quote, duty commanded me to prevent this. Hindenburg, like every other candidate, was required to receive over half the vote to win outright. Otherwise, there would be a runoff, To try to get this majority, the Hindenburg campaign was reliant upon voters from many different viewpoints, including Social Democrats. They, meaning the Social Democrats, didn't want Hitler or other extremist candidates and would vote for Hindenburg to make sure this happens. They did this even if they wouldn't normally support Hindenburg. Hindenburg won the March 13th election, taking over 18 million votes. Hitler, however, came in second place with 30%. 11 and a half million votes. Goebbels reported that Hitler was ready to continue fighting. However, according to Hitler's assistant, he was not happy. He could be moody, prone to extreme emotions. He was discovered by himself in his apartment, sitting with the lights off. He was dwelling on the loss. His assistant compared him to a depressed and defeated gambler. Still, because Hindenburg didn't receive a majority, Hitler would have another chance. Hindenburg got 49.6% of the vote total, which was, yes, close, very close, but not enough to win outright. There would be a runoff. Some of the most famous images of Hitler were of him getting out of airplanes, hand in the air as he received the Nazi salute from those waiting for him. The image of Hitler in an airplane was first made famous by the Lenny Reifenstahl propaganda film, Triumph of the Will, which shows Hitler flying to a 1934 party rally in the opening scene. He flew a lot, particularly during the war when he traveled to his military outpost called the Wolfslayer to conduct German efforts on the Eastern Front. At the time of the 1932 elections, the Deutschlandflug or flight over Germany was a novelty. Hitler instituted this novel campaigning technique for the runoff against Hindenburg. The airplane tour was new for European and American politics. In its Deutschlandflug, Hitler was able to travel between cities in a short amount of time. One such airplane tour took place on April 5th, when Hitler traveled to four different cities in northern Germany and far east Germany across the Polish corridor, including the semi-autonomous Danzig. The campaign started at 12 noon on April 3rd. There was a truce for Easter before officially kicking off the politicking. The vote would take place one week later on April 10th. At noon on this first day of campaigning, Hitler spoke before a 50,000 person crowd in Leipzig. He continued to pound the Weimar government and promised to, quote, fight to the bitter end. Kaiser Wilhelm's son, August Wilhelm, also spoke in Leipzig. He said the Nazis had no quarrel with Hindenburg but with those who were using him and taking advantage of him. Indeed, the Nazis continued to be soft on Hindenburg, but hard on Brüning and others. Meanwhile, the Hindenburg camp attacked the Nazis on the first day of campaigning. The German minister of labor spoke for the campaign in Breslau. He said that the Nazis wanted to create a, quote, dictatorship similar to that of Italy, which was a reference to Mussolini. The socialists continued to push for Hindenburg. Quote, Beat Hitler, more votes for Hindenburg was a campaign slogan. There was propaganda everywhere in Germany. Posters, pamphlets, banners. Much of it was from the Nazis, including a famous poster of Hitler's face, hair parted right to left with his infamous mustache. It was on a dark black background. The poster only had one word. Hitler. On election day, April 10th, Germany was prepared for unrest and altercations. There had been violence, as was usual at the time during the campaign. Berlin police watched over the city on foot, on bicycles, and in trucks. However, there was generally peace on the streets. 83% turned out to vote. Hitler did not win. Over 13 million Germans, or 37% of all those who participated, had voted for him. Hindenburg was reelected as 53% of voters chose the reigning president. Even though Hitler didn't win, he gained over 2 million more votes in comparison to his total from the March election. And he defeated the communist candidate, Ernst Talman, easily. Talman received 3.7 million votes, over 1 million fewer votes than in March. The results made it clear that Germany was not a country of multiple competing worldviews. Rather, it was the Weimar government against Nazism. Nazi momentum was building, and the presidential elections played a significant role in this. Still, some felt the election results signaled stability for Chancellor Brüning and the current Weimar government. Hitler and the Nazis, however, had other plans. Human beings like to create narratives, to connect the dots on events, even though they might not be related at all. It helps us to make sense of a confusing world. The Nazis created a story for themselves as they continued to make gains. This story was centered on the momentum they were building. They were invincible. Taking control of Germany could happen at any minute. Nazi momentum was important because they would soon be able to bring about new Reichstag elections with new voting the Nazis would have the chance to further entrench themselves in German politics and force Hindenburg to give them real power. Every time the public inched towards embracing Nazism, the more the current German political class had to consider the movement as a real alternative. The opportunity for new elections came about from a deal between Hitler and German political leaders. Hindenburg and others wanted more order, tradition, and a general conservative shift in German politics. They sought out the blessing of the nazis of a new political cabinet and agreed to reichstag elections in exchange hitler saw the chance and he took it he wanted another opportunity to increase the share of nazis in the reichstag i am now going to introduce two new characters into the story that will play a large role in the events of 1932 and 1933. they are kurt von schleicher and franz von papen schleicher was a general and had worked in Germany's Supreme Army Command in World War I. In the early 1930s, Schleicher was an important intermediary between Germany's military and its government. Schleicher had a plan to restore Germany. He wanted to facilitate a right-wing coalition to usher in an authoritarian government and overthrow the Versailles Treaty. Part of this plan involved promoting Papen, Schleicher saw him as perfect to bring order back to Germany because of his conservative aristocratic background and personal authoritarian political beliefs. The new elections would not have come about without these two, as they orchestrated events behind the scenes. They thought they could use the Nazis for their own purposes in exchange. They would grant Hitler some of the things he wanted, including new elections. Schleicher desired some of the same things as Hitler. These included a more authoritarian government above party politics, and for the country to get out from the restrictions of the Versailles Treaty. He believed he could use the Nazis' massive following to help bring about his hope for German government. He thought it would be possible to keep the Nazis in check in this endeavor. This would become a common belief in the coming year. German leaders wanted to use the Nazis for their own ends, believing they could do so while simultaneously restraining their aggressive nature. These German politicians were playing with fire. Every time, the Nazis would be more than they could handle. Schleicher met with Hitler. Hitler agreed to back Schleicher's push towards a right-leaning shift in the government. In exchange, he wanted a couple things. First, he wanted new Reichstag elections for the chance to expand Nazi electoral gains. Second, Hitler wanted an elimination of a restriction on Nazi paramilitary. These paramilitary were the Sturmabteilung, or SA for short. Brüning had pushed Hindenburg to put the restriction in place in April, when authorities found an SA plan for a military takeover. Schleicher had Hindenburg's ear; he badgered him to fire Brüning from his post as Chancellor and create a new government. Hindenburg let go of Brüning in late May. The Reich President then hired Papen to replace Brüning, which is what Schleicher had wanted and a new cabinet was put in place. The new cabinet took Germany another step away from liberal democracy. The members were nationalists who wanted to supersede multi-party democracy. Schleicher's desires were being met. New elections would follow as Hitler wanted. Voting would happen in late July, and the ban on the SA was gone. With these developments, the Nazis would have their chance to continue their momentum. During the weekend of July 16th and 17th, violence broke out around the Reich. Many died, more were injured. There were separate altercations across Germany. The deadliest of these incidents happened in Altona, Germany, near Hamburg. A mini war broke out between thousands of Nazi stormtroopers and communist Red Front soldiers. In this battle that became known as Bloody Sunday, 18 died and over a hundred were injured. Many of those who died were not even part of the fighting. As Bloody Sunday shows, the violence on German streets continued during the election campaign in July of 1932. This violence came following the end of the SA ban, as Nazis and communists continued to fight one another. The ban ended on June 16th and during the rest of the month, 17 died from political violence. In July, 86 died. Meanwhile, for the Nazi strategy, the July campaign played out a lot like before. They continued to attack the Weimar system. It was time for a change. Outsiders expected the Nazis to win over 200 seats, a drastic improvement from their current number, and thought it possible the election would be their, quote, turning point, as the New York Times put it. Still, there were also signs that the Nazis would have trouble passing their agenda following the election. This was because some polls only had them at around 40% of the vote, not enough to rule on their own. Those predictions and outside polls proved prophetic. With almost 40% of the vote, the Nazis received 230 Reichstag seats. This was well over 100 more than they had won in the 1930 elections. The Nazis were now, by a large margin, the biggest political party in German parliament. The Socialists came in second in the elections with around 100 fewer seats than the Nazis. The National Socialists, the Nazis, now had the most seats any party had ever had in the Reichstag. Hitler seemed happy with the results. Quote, I am deeply gratified because the communists and socialists together have fewer Reichstag mandates than the Nazis alone. He said this following the election. He continued quote, that clearly establishes our party's hegemony in any coalition of the right. Still, there was concern that the Nazis had not lived up to expectations. For example, they had failed to win a majority, and they would have to be part of the coalitions, as Hitler alluded to in what was just quoted, to govern Germany. Some called it a, quote, stalemate, as neither side of the political spectrum had gained enough seats to govern without agreement from the other side. For the Nazis themselves, there was some frustration about the election results. In comparison to the share of the votes Hitler had received in the April presidential elections, they had not made an improvement. Had the Nazis reached their zenith? Was their momentum slowing? Quote, We won't get to an absolute majority this way, Goebbels admitted in his journal. The New York Times speculated that the road ahead would be difficult for the Nazis. After all, there were no elections on the horizon to make more gains. Still, the Nazis had much to be optimistic about. They had the most seats in the reichstag and it seemed that hindenburg had to consider giving them real power and the feeling among the nazis began to shift from focusing on elections to making demands for prominent seats at the table in berlin it's hard to stress just how much the nazis had grown in so short a time it was a quick massive rise in 1923 Hitler attempted to gain power through an illegal military coup. After its failure, he vowed to do things legally through elections. The strategy was finally paying off for him. After the successful July elections, Hitler had trouble deciding what the Nazis' next steps should be. In early August, he took some time, albeit brief, away from politics. He could be found in Munich, taking in Richard Wagner's Tristan und Isolde. He also went to Berchtesgaden, a Bavarian town in southeast Germany close to the Austrian border. It was a picturesque place and a common Hitler vacation spot. He had a mountain house that overlooked the Alps. He spent time there to scheme and stand by for news. However soon, just a couple days in fact, Hitler made up his mind about what to do. He would demand the chancellorship and he expected that this position would come with a way to get around the Reichstag, namely an enabling act. In addition, he had in mind important positions for his fellow National Socialists, such as Hermann Goering appointed as Air Minister and Josef Goebbels being given a propaganda position, namely a newly established ministry for the people's education. Soon after the July 31st elections, a Nazi official was quoted in the press as saying, quote, Since a workable majority is not possible in the new Reichstag, therefore, as the largest single political unit ever welded together in Germany, we have the right to demand that the government be given into our hands. This was the Nazi feeling in August of 1932. After a meeting with Schleicher, who had been made Papen's Minister of Defense, they felt they were, quote, at the gates of power, as Goebbels wrote in his diary. There was, however, one problem Hindenburg was opposed to making Hitler Chancellor. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Points of No Return in History. Next week, we will continue our series, Hitler Becomes Chancellor and How It Almost Didn't Happen. I am grateful for the work of three historians whose works I have consulted for this series. This includes The Third Reich, A History of Nazi Germany by Thomas Childers, Hitler, 1889-1936 1889 through 1936 by Ian Kershaw, and The Coming of the Third Reich by Richard J. Evans. Be on the lookout for the release of next week's episode on Wednesday, October 21st. Have a great week, everyone.